passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around. Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Ladies and gentlemen, it's John Pollock. It's waiting. An enormous day here in the city. It's been a very long year. We have been given false hope month after month. Warnings color-coded regions, delays, but finally, way, May 31st, 2021, I finally, for the first time in 14 months, I felt a bit of normalcy because the Toronto Maple Leafs blew it. And for once, I feel we're getting back to the way things used to be. All is well, you know? The sky I was worried. Clear. They were up 3-1. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. They can't, they can't win around here. We are on the right track. This is how I know, you know, like the, 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 the world uh, has everything set in place. It starts with the, the Leafs uh, crashing and burning in Game 7 against the Montreal Canadiens, no less. And then up next, I'll be able to eat indoors. So I'm, I'm sure we are uh, on our way to recover. We're not, we're not fully there. I mean, uh, a full return to normal. This would have gone to overtime. And they would have had a commanding lead early on in the game. So we're not quite there. But nonetheless, they still blew it. Still keeping the tradition strong. So thank you to the Toronto Maple Leafs for, for keeping us with, with a vision of what we are aspiring to return to. I, I was uh, chatting with the Zoom chat before we went on. And we were discussing like the all-time like, longest droughts. Because I guess now that like what like Boston and, and the Cubs have, have won their championships. And like somebody brought up Cleveland. I guess like um, they had that great team in '95 that that was looking very promising when Albert Bell was at his his peak. I, I'll take your word for it. I I don't. They, they didn't win though. They didn't win. So this one. But I mean, the Leafs have back. to definitely be up there. And at this point, I don't really want them to ever win. Like I come on, it's we, we got, have two. Want... We have a second drought now. Not on, not just winning the Stanley Cup. Now, when it comes to winning an actual round in the Stanley Cup playoffs, we are second only to the Florida Panthers. Uh, 
going back, I think the last time the Panthers won one was when they won the cup in 96. And no, when they went to the finals in 96, they lost to the Colorado Avalanche in overtime. Uwe Krupp scoring the overtime winner. The Leafs are second, dude. They haven't won since 04, which I can tell you where I was downtown at outside of the Air Canada Center when they were playing the Ottawa Senators. They haven't made it into the second round like in more than 15 years. Uh, I believe so. And yet, like, this is the most popular team perhaps in all of the NHL. It's it it makes no it makes complete sense. Of course it does, but it's just it, it's it's one of those romantic things where no matter what this team does, um, there will be people watching next year. Well, did you watch any of the game? A little bit. I had it on in the background, but I was kind of mostly on my phone to be honest. Well, we're going to get into tonight's big edition of Raw, the Let's Game Seven edition of Raw. Exciting did stuff. It, did it feel like that to you? I did. It absolutely did. But here at postwrestling.com, it's always game seven. And it really is because as you're listening to this, we are about to welcome in and usher in the month of June. No abbreviation for this month. No, this is one you can write. Um, I mean, if you're going to write J-U-N, you might as well write J-U-N-E. If you're putting the period, it's like really lazy to just omit the E. So with that month coming up, it's a great time to join the Post Wrestling Cafe. As always, we have your live shows after Raw, after Dynamite, after SmackDown, which, at least for another week, is going to be combined into the the wildly popular Rewind at Dynadown that debuted last Friday. And I guess we're getting the follow-up, the sequel, this coming Friday. But this month, way, lots of great stuff going down in the cafe, including a review of Warrior this week. Man, I thought we were done with all the warrior talk. No, no. Now we're moving on to the Conlins. Wow. Okay, yes. Of course, um, last week we've uh, gone through our Ultimate Warrior discussions. And actually, John just recently released an interview with David Bixenspan talking a little bit more in depth about the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, Bixenspan, of course, you know, a, a researcher, a consultant on Dark Side of the Ring. So uh, plenty of that warrior discussion. But if you're looking for the a different type of warrior for us to discuss. This is the 2011 film starring Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, Nick Nolte, and the big one, Kurt Angle as evil Russian fighter, Koba. Oh, yes, we will be talking about this. This is actually a choice of Robert Brocky, the postmaster, for this week's Rewind Away. So uh, we'll actually, you know what, John, because of the lack of dynamite this week, let's release this one a day early. Thursday morning. What? Everybody. A it's day a early? Oh day my early. god! Yeah, Thursday morning. What? What? What else are you going to do on a Thursday morning? There's no dynamite to, to listen to talk, to us talk about. So instead, listen to us talk about a film from 2011. We're giving uh, you the 16 man Sparta tournament a day early. Duff, just perfect. Your your lack of acknowledging any of these references tells me you this. have not started this movie yet. So that is wonderful. Uh, good luck. <laughs> So that is coming up later this week. Actually, like this was like th- this this film, like es- especially Nick Nolte. I mean, the guy got an Oscar nomination for his portrayal as Patty Conlon in this movie. So th- this is not just some some scrub MMA film. Uh, well, I'll 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 be the judge of that. 
We will find out. So that's coming out on Thursday. Uh, This month, you'll get two Rewindaways, of course, the Ask Away Mailbag Show, and, of course, the continuation of the post-movie reviews. And next week, we've got, instead of Sunday, a Monday review of Dominion. Yeah. Do you think it's happening, John? I think it will. Okay. So John and I will be back to talk about that show. And as well, starting next week, it is the return of MCU Later with me and WH Park. We'll be talking about Loki. These shows will probably drop sometime Thursday night slash Friday morning. So might be a bit of a shakeup in terms of our scheduling, but uh, those will be out every single week. Yes, the much-anticipated return of MCU Later. There's not enough WH Park in your life. Get set. Uh, And WH will also, uh, this weekend, have a long and winding Royal Road uh, with Case Lowe from the Voices of Wrestling site. They are going to do uh, the latest chapter in WH's career retrospectives this coming Sunday, Kenta Kobashi. And these have been excellent shows. Like These are very comprehensive career reviews of the four pillars, and Kenta Kobashi is next up uh, this Sunday. So I'm looking forward to these. I, I've really enjoyed the shows um, that have gone with an individual figure, and it is a very in-depth, several-hour look at someone's career. Uh, completely. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one, and I'm sure this one, like some of the others, will come with a really great list of matches that would be recommended. So there you go. The whole schedule is up at postwrestling.com. As Way mentioned, I have an interview up with David Bixenspan chatting about the Ultimate Warrior, a lot of his reporting on the figure, some of his thoughts on the documentaries. Uh, so a big discussion on the Ultimate Warrior and many different aspects to his life and career. That's up there. And Tuesday, it's the collision we've all been awaiting. Double J with double underscore. Andrew Thompson is chatting with Jeff Jarrett. And that will be up on the website. The video portion will be up at Andrew Thompson Interviews on YouTube. So you can catch all of that. Lots of different subjects covered with uh, Jeff Jarrett uh, by Andrew Thompson. So I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Huge skip for Andrew. So yeah, I'm very curious to hear this. Okay. You you just kind of, I thought you were going, you said, I'm really looking forward to this. And it looked like you were going to add... Uh, no, there, it was a, this with the period. I, I got that, but it was too late at that point. So we just had to move on. So there you go. Check out this tomorrow <laughs> with Andrew and Double J, Jeff Jarrett. All right, let's get into some news. There isn't a whole lot going on. Uh, Memorial Day in the U.S. And I guess uh, there was the, the post double or nothing somewhat of a lull when it came to the news. Uh all out um, on Sunday. They announced it would be in Chicago. Well, it's going to be at the former Sears Center. It is now the Now Arena. The Now Arena, okay. The Now Arena, yes. I Mm. loved this compilation of CDs when I was in grade school. I got Now 3 when I was on a vacation in Ottawa, and that featured um, Canada's finest. Oh, that was the one with Chumbawamba, I think. Uh, I, th- that sounds, that certainly sounds Probably like had a third eye blind on there. Um, <laughs> tub thumping is <laughs> track one followed yeah. by, look, look at these matchbox 20 Marcy playground bitch by Meredith Brooks, the wallflowers, Paula Cole at the height of Dawson's Creek, Janet Jackson, jewel, 
The Verve. Is there a Natalie Imbruglia in there? Uh, Lisa Loeb, Sister Hazel. I think that oh, was yeah. uh, a track for a Jennifer Aniston breakout film at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great Big C, Spice Girls, Aqua, and The Big One Way. Were you a big Casey and JoJo song uh, fan? Fuck, are you kidding me? Love that shit. Dude, that was yes. that was a jam in 98. Oh, yeah. All my life. Uh, probably going to be played at my wedding. It's on the list. Oh, really? Okay. Nah, no, no, I'm joking. What about Rapper's Delight? Will you play that? Uh, yeah, yeah. With that's Red the Man? walkout. That's the walk-in song. Yeah. So, a great, uh, a great, <laughs> that was our top news item, everybody. The, uh, the big, uh, venue announcement, uh, in Hoffman Estates, Illinois, to be, uh, specific. This was an interesting story I, uh, saw today. It was week two for F9 in China, and they dropped 85% in week two at the box office. So the two week total in China, it's actually on par with where Hobbs and Shaw was after two weeks in China, but it is way below Furious 7 and the fate of the Furious. Uh, to put that into perspective, the like F9, I think the total, I don't have the figure in front of me. I think it's around 185 million they're at. The previous uh, Fast and Furious franchises, they were both... Uh, in the 390 million range. So, I mean, you can't exactly draw a parallel to the whole controversy, but I think that's what you have to look at, that this was, as we mentioned in our news update last week, that the apology, it not only put John Cena in a bad light in a worldwide context, uh, but it seems that those in China did not exactly take the apology um, as as good enough. Yeah, who would have thought how... <laughs> Man, this guy. Just... This dude. This was literally the most ex- costly oh. word, maybe ever. Like one word. That that is not oh, true. It's... I'm sure. I'm sure that uh, no, words no, have no. cost people as well. But this was significant. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we maybe it's the reviews, John. You know, maybe this people just like heard first week reviews. Oh, you know, what space? Fuck that. You know, I'm not going to this thing. Maybe it's nine. What is this? Is this a keyboard? Is this a movie? I don't understand this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still going to go watch it. I am too. Whenever it gets back here. I mean, uh, maybe this will be the first movie I go to in two years. At at this rate, I I feel like we'll be at F10 by the time movie theaters open here. Uh, Smackdown. uh, We don't have the final numbers there. They did have the overnight numbers, but in Canada, I did get the numbers. They did. Uh, Friday night, uh, they aired back-to-back on Sportsnet 360, and then Dynamite was on TSN2. So SmackDown did 167,900 viewers. Dynamite did 109,400. And that's a good number for Dynamite on in an unfamiliar time slot on Friday night at 10. Uh, the fact that they topped 100,000 viewers. Um, you know, fine numbers. They're going against... Uh, they did go against a NHL playoff game on Friday, which is going to be a more of an impact in Canada than the NBA playoffs. Uh, the U.S. numbers should be out on Tuesday. And a correction from last night's show, when I was reading the lineup for Dynamite this coming Friday, it's not the Lucha Brothers against the Young Bucks. It is Pac and Penta that are teaming up against the Young Bucks. Still should be a phenomenal match on Friday. And it's a live show as well, so we will get a... Uh, It'll be probably another rabid crowd, which the more AEW are doing these shows with crowds, the more it is making it difficult for me to 
getting to these Thunderdome shows. Like it was so such a contrast tonight. And and I'm used to the Thunderdome. I don't even think it's I'm just used to it. But tonight it was it was just glaring because we were going from such an extreme last night. It was not just people back, but such a hot crowd. Yeah, I definitely I mean, I think it, it's unusual at this point to um well, I mean, we've had it before, but it's unusual to come from that sort of show on a Sunday right to this edition of Raw on Monday, which just felt very, very kind of like the same um, and, and almost of a different era at this point. So I'm sure if you're the WWE, you really can't wait to get back on the in front of these crowds. Uh, Joey Janela put up a post that he was supposed to wrestle this Sunday for GCW on their zombie walk card in Atlantic City against Ninja Mac, but he is not cleared uh, due to an injury which I would guess came out of the Hangman Page match because he just wrestled on Friday, uh, does not know the severity and he didn't state what the injury was, uh, but it's probably going to be the same case for the GCW's card in Wyoming. But he is going to Atlantic City this weekend uh, to do commentary for the Sunday show and the day prior for Tournament of Survival. And the other note is... NXT on Tuesday night, they did actually, I thought, a pretty decent job of this on on Raw, was plugging the triple threat with Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne, and Johnny Gargano, with the winner facing Karrion Cross at TakeOver. And they're also doing MSK against Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde for the tag titles on Tuesday. They've been um, really upping the video production for these mm -hmm. promos. And um, they had, like, the three of them come out with like a very special unique shoot that looked fantastic. And I have to, of course, imagine, you know, getting them getting this like increased airtime on raw in front of a larger audience is a big part of that. Um, but they've been doing some excellent work, that video production team at NXT. And honestly, it just kind of makes raw look pretty bad, you know, having stuff like this compared to it. Uh, the last thing was the latest Amy biography. We're coming up to the end of the run because next weekend is the last one with Bret Hart. Uh, but the penultimate episode focused on Mick Foley for two hours. And um, just some of your overall thoughts. I think Mick Foley is a super engaging interview subject. And I thought that this was might have been my favorite of the A&E biographies. It was mine, too. And that kind of surprised me because going into it, I can't really say I had that much anticipation for it. Part of me was wondering if I would even watch it because I feel like Mick Foley kind of exists at a point now where I feel like I know so much about him already. Also, I feel like, um, you know, he's kind of lacked a lot of relevance in recent years. So I don't know how interested I was and I didn't think I would be able to learn a whole lot more. Nonetheless, I think this was a reminder of like, um, I want to feel I want to almost say like I feel like we've been taking him for granted because he has been such an open book because he has been around for, for so long and, you know, feels relatively accessible when it comes to like um, sharing stories and whatnot. But when you kind of see it all encapsulated again here, you it just kind of makes you fall back in love with like this man and his career and just the incredible story of his like, um, you know, uh, 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 rise to unlikely superstardom. Um, I thought it did a great job of covering his early years, even pre-WCW. Um, and then, you know, of course, like you have to go through the Hell in a Cell, which I'm sure people listening to this would have like uh, learned every detail about by this point. But, you know, nonetheless, this is meant to be a comprehensive look at the man for somebody who might not be, you know, a hardcore professional wrestling fan. And I thought it handled that really well. I, I also... thought they had a really fresh take on it because 
yes, we've heard Mick Foley and even Undertaker talk about it over and over again. But the people that I found really interesting was the children, uh, specifically Dewey, who I thought is great in this documentary, and getting the perspective of him at the age of six um, that can remember it. I thought that was some really engaging stuff. And it was a lot uh, like they they took from the beyond the map footage that is probably like the most um, in a bad way memorable from that beyond the mat film is the reaction during the I quit match with the rock. But you have to imagine like his wife and Dewey watching this one at home. I thought that was like a really interesting perspective to hear from his six year old child or, you know, grown adult now uh, reflecting on that match. Totally. Totally. You know, this one even, I mean, there might might be some issues like that they might have played around with the timeline just, you know, for the sake of being able to tell the story. But um, for the most part, I thought it really kind of did its job of telling you what this guy was up to even afterwards. Uh, Talked about how regretful he was of coming back for the TNA run and how he basically said that, you know, much of this run was a cash grab. Um, he said at least partly a cash grab and didn't look forward to, to wrestling and just wanted to get it over with, um, which is a pretty honest statement, which is what you're going to get out of Mick Foley, who, you know, a project like this, he's going to take very seriously, like you've seen with his books. I mean, the guy has uh, just he's very thoughtful when it comes to his answers and assessing his career. And it's not just painting everything as rosy and better than it was uh, looking back all these years later. He has things, I think, in the pretty accurate perspective of the time of what what was working for him, what did not work, understanding his limitations. But, you know, for someone that has always, I found to be very, very humble in what they have done, you really do get a sense like coming up, like there was this chip on this guy's shoulder that he possessed a great amount of confidence in himself that when all these other people were telling him not to do this stuff, the Ric Flair comments were very interesting to see kind of where that relationship has gone. And that, you know, Foley, uh, you know, being told even in Germany by Flair, like, don't go kill yourself out here. And Foley had this drive that is admirable in one sense, but at the same time, this physical toll he has t- he has paid, which I mean, he acknowledges like I knew I was going to be on borrowed time, and I knew that my out was hopefully going to be at at thirty five. Like, go to the WWF, make money, and I'd be done by thirty five. And yes, he had the comebacks, but as a full time active WWF performer, he's pretty much done at thirty five when he finishes up at that WrestleMania. Hmm. I mean, when he was really done was when he came back to the WWE and they had his their doctors tell him he couldn't uh, step back into the ring. I didn't even know he was thinking about it at that, at that point. But he was he know. was going to do that program with John Moxley that they even shot mm-hmm. an angle for uh, over Mania in 2012. And, like they had already started an angle, and then it was you know the the angle was canceled. I mean, Moxley still got a, a great call up with the Shield, but that certainly delayed his main roster arrival and with Foley. Yeah, it was, they just told him like, your, your career is done. And they go into this a bit about, you know, he pretty much indicates like he was going through a period of depression before he found these one man shows. And I thought, I thought it was a really great transition that they had where you go from the hell in a cell 
chapter to present day where he's walking across the beach and you can just see the like him walking it's it's a chore today when you look at him and then you look at his best friend you know who you would assume would be of the same age and Mm -hmm. i mean it feels like there's a good like 10 15 years apart between the two in terms of just how, how much their bodies have aged so you know, we've this. It really is not something that should come as any surprise to. If anything, like if you're a wrestling fan, you see the type of work he's done. You feel like he's gotten off relatively easy. You know, being even being able to walk right now, much less like, you know, something more serious than that. So, but you know, it, it overall I think is a, a, a really good look at this very unique person who. Definitely, like, I think, you know, made a name for himself for having a very sadistic side, but also somebody who is incredibly brilliant, creative, smart, and just so incredibly friendly and warm in ways that you wouldn't expect. So uh, I think he's, like, really one of wrestling's great success stories. He's always been one of my favorite people to speak to. I think you just get, um, like, there's, you know, he's a very... Like he will take a question and really give you like his honest answer and gives things a lot of thought. That's why I knew this. It's like the Mick Foley story. It's been told. But I thought like there were interesting new elements, especially his post, his full post career um, since 2012, where, you know, he was very open about, you know, his finding out that his son was autistic, uh, his work with Rain that we're familiar with. But it was I, I I was glad that they included this and the Santa stuff as well. Like if that is not like the most heartwarming thing to watch this guy and this joy he gets out of this, he even put a disclaimer video up on Sunday before it aired to warn parents that might be watching with younger children that he doesn't want to ruin Christmas for them. I mean, that to me is like a pretty, pretty thoughtful individual. Yeah. Wow. That's, that. that's, um, that's really cool. He, he, How about that line? Uh, that line from Heyman that scripted doesn't resonate with the sports entertainment crowd because the sports entertainment crowd is always aching for something real. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's pretty obvious, and obviously, you see the company that he currently works for, and you know, I imagine it's it's a message he's probably wanted. He's probably told many people, but um. For whatever reason, they stick to scripted because they feel like they have to. That was the other thing. I thought their choice of um, people to speak to was really good throughout this entire thing. I thought. I mean, Mick Foley's career happens to be one where you just, you know, luckily have a lot. WWE has a lot of access to anybody that they wanted to, but you know, didn't prevent them from talking to somebody like uh, Jim Ross or um, who else? Oh God, they had so many in that. Everybody. Yeah, they had a ton of people, but I mean, so much of his career has been documented that there is, you know, like there was nothing to me glaring watching this, like some of the other ones where something just jumps out and it's just like you're putting your hands in the air. Like there, there really was none of that. I've, I had never heard the story before about the Kane Dewey sign that the fan had actually come and asked Mick Foley for permission ahead of time. Hmm. So. That was a that was an interesting That's note. That's nice there. of that fan. Hey, I had this idea. Um, you know, your three year old son. Um, so, anyway, I I thought this was probably my favorite of the uh, the A and E version. So, 
Yeah, next week's Brett, which I'm sure it'll be a, a noteworthy one. Um, I hope Brett can come out of his shell and be forthcoming and honest. And um, I hope he isn't shy uh, when he's interviewed because yeah, sometimes sometimes you don't always get uh, his his opinion. He kind of just, I, he's Switzerland. Yeah, I hope we get to learn a bit about this uh, Montreal thing. I... You know, there's been so much legend attached to this this famous match that happened uh, 24 happened? years ago. I I hope I hope they can dive into it a little bit. Yeah, I'm waiting for the transitions. The guy was a three out of ten, and then we cut to his office in Stanford. The guy was a three out of ten. What? That was a. Uh, isn't that Brett's rating for Hunter? Three out of ten. Oh. Four out of ten. Uh, so that's a Brett one, and we've got the the uh, the Smith family on Dark Side of the Ring this Thursday, which will be. I, I think there's going to be a lot of new information in that because I don't think it's a story that too many people like. Like I don't know too much about, you know, a lot of the particulars that I'm sure are going to be explored in, in that one. So it's probably going to be a very uncomfortable hour as well, given some of what is to be expected. So that is what is coming up on the documentary front. Are you going to miss doc season? Mm, I'm sure we'll have plenty actually throughout the course of the year. There's you think A&E something. goes ahead and, and does like another run of these maybe a year from now or so? I could see that. How are ratings for these? Do you know? <laughs> well, uh, I have not seen some of the latest ones. Um, dude, this, this show buzz daily thing, like it needs to be addressed. Like, we just I don't need know, another like, website. Like the Biden administration hasn't spoken about it yet, but something needs to be addressed here. This is just getting out of control. How how is there not a another outlet that is capitalizing on this? Like Showbuzz Daily had the exclusivity on ratings information and charts. Well, I don't know. How do people get this stuff? I mean, obviously they were getting all of this information. And putting it in nice yeah. color coded charts, like it's been mm-hmm. it's been three weeks now. Like I don't know what the future is of of Showbuzz Daily. It's uh, again, like it's been said many times. Like it's one thing to get the numbers, but you're missing so much context that you know Showbuzz Daily having the entire view of you know television viewership for the night, how it shifts, how it compares, what the competition is. It's just it, it's just such a smaller window we have into what these numbers mean. I know, yeah. It's well. We'll just have to pay attention to something else. Yeah. Another metric, guys. Tweets, this is the uh, compromise. It's going to be Showbuzz monthly, and we are going to <laughs> update this once every thirty days. Monday Night Raw, featuring the de- <clears throat> the debut of Jimmy Smith. What was your grade? Oh, okay. Um, grade out of ten or letter grade. Let's go with a letter grade. Or color. <laughs> I'll I go give with, him an orange. I think I would give him a B minus, actually. I B- think minus. for the first show, he did really well. I, I'd go I'd go B. I definitely want to leave room for improvement. But I thought, you know, you had a few little, like, they stepped on each other a few times, which, you know, for a three-man booth, I think you can expect that to happen. But in terms of knowing the product, knowing the characters. Like, this was a guy who said he was going to research the hell out of this and has been 
following this product nonstop since he got the call to try out. And I think you have to give him a lot of credit for this guy attacking this and, you know, by his own admission, like not someone that followed wrestling since he was a child. But I thought I thought this guy had a really good first night overall. Like he he assimilated to this booth, to this desk pretty well. Yeah, and of course, a lot of credit to Corey Graves and Byron Saxton, who were clearly there to, you know, carry the guy along, and they did a great job. Um, it wasn't a perfect broadcast by any means, but I certainly felt like he had a better first night than Adnan Burke. Uh, simply, I, I think a big part of it for me is I think he has a good voice. You know, I think he has the right type of announcer's voice for that sort of role. Um, and I definitely feel like he did his research. It came across, you know, Um he seems to have at least been coached or has figured out maybe, you know, the the, the role he is personally required for throughout. Um, and I thought it sounded like a relatively smooth broadcast. They opened up with a Memorial Day video and then Corey Graves started the show introducing Jimmy Smith as the new addition to the broadcast on Raw. And Ms. TV began the show. John Morrison was wearing a chain of garlic around his neck, which he explained is just in case after the zombies attacked them. And he also introduced the drip stick. The drip stick. It's like this, what, like a kid's toy that shoots water? Um, yes, this was a, this was like um, a combination of a water gun and Rick Martel's arrogance. Sure. Yeah. Miz mentions he was injured during the Lumberjack match against Damian Priest, uh, but didn't go into uh, specifics about what the state of his knee is or how nor, long he's going to be out of action. Well, nor his zombiness. I thought he ate by zombies. I thought the man was going to turn into a zombie. Well, you know what? He was able to uh, resurrect himself, but didn't come out of it unscathed from the other world. Hey, by the way, our friends at Up Next have an Army of Darkness review in case you guys were uh, wondering about that great film that inspired that Lumberjack match, or if you've seen it, it is up now for free on the Up Next feed. Charlotte came out and... Sorry, Morris... Army of the Dead. Thank oh, you, Army of the Dead, yes. Charlotte is out and said that she is going to send Rhea Ripley to hell in three weeks and turn her fairy tale into a nightmare. Ripley comes out next. You're going to send me to hell. You can go to hell. You can go Terrible. to hell. Terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. John Morrison, it gets worse, thinks that Rhea Ripley is a vampire. And Rhea Ripley, the badass on NXT, has to respond. Oh, <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I am not a vampire. I'm a nightmare for every female in the women's division. The script was a nightmare. And see, it was really bad. Okay. But at some point, like we, she's not the only person to have been called up from NXT. But for some reason, like Rhea Ripley's transition has made her so much worse has made her sound so much more um, fake that I just, I really don't understand. You know, I'm sure she would have had some form of scripting in NXT as well. Definitely better scripting, but still, like, there's something really, really off 
in every appearance she's had nearly on Raw, on the main roster since, has just been some really terrible delivery of these terrible lines. Flair points out that you couldn't beat Nikki Cross last week. So Cross comes out, putting over the fact that she beat the Raw Women's Champion last week because a clock expired. So she challenges the winner at Hell in a Cell to a match. Rhea Ripley, who, depending on your definition, uh, half of you probably believe she's a babyface, argues if there had been four minutes on the clock instead of two, I would have beaten you. Mm-hmm. What a what a line from your champion. Wasn't she the one that proposed two minutes? She was the one that suggested this time. I don't remember. Cross says, I can beat you, Charlotte, in two minutes. Charlotte says, I can beat you in one minute. And then Cross slaps Flair and the match is made. But when we come back... It is, in fact, a two-minute countdown clock. So I guess the <laughs> the person in charge said, Charlotte, Charlotte, realistically, you can't do this in 60 seconds. We're going to give you two minutes. Yeah. Um, I think the storyline is terrible, and I think these opening segments really are, are pretty awful. So this is just Cross running the clock. Ripley gets in her way by the desk, and then Flair is inside, gets hit by a tornado DDT, and with a second left, goes for the figure eight as time expires. These matches are pretty simple to book. Number one, you need more than two minutes to build up the drama of the babyface lasting and and building up to, you know, the, the closing seconds. There was no drama in any of this. The two minutes ends, Ripley laughs. She's amused by the fact that Charlotte also lost to Nikki Cross. So what a what a championship match we have as we have set the table for Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. Neither could carry out their guarantees. And this this program is just nothing to me. It's a pretty strange way, to say the least, of, of booking your championship match for a pay-per-view. Um Having both competitors lose in beat the clock challenges to, you know, somebody who um, is really not even at this point like a mid-carder, I would say, Nikki Cross. But overall, it's like, I would say if I see them in the future pushing Nikki Cross to like towards a championship level, that this would somehow be worth it. But I can't even say that because I don't feel like I have any reason to like anybody involved in this. Charlotte. You know, is a heel who is easily outsmarted. Rhea Ripley is a baby face with terrible delivery who is also easily outsmarted. And now Nikki Cross is the underdog who takes way too much pride in being able to run away for two minutes. None of them, to me, are likable at all. And I, I just think that overall this feud is really questionable. Riddle is hanging out with his buddy Damian Priest. And Damien goes, dude, 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 imagine all the celebrating we're going to do when we go back on the road. They have now incorporated going back on the road for live events into it is the only topic of discussion backstage among the talent, which I can't blame them for trying to make this a big thing. And they're trying to weave it into all of the different stories like this. This is the only topic backstage. 
Yeah, I, I actually, when we can travel. I think it's good promotion. You know, it's the big event that's coming up. Riddle asked Damien if he can teach him Espanol, Aka Spanish. To which Damien replies, you mean AKA Spanish? And he asks him how to say, bro, I'm hungry. Where's my daddy? And hey, Randy. At the end, Damien translates hey, Randy to hey, Randy, because Orton is here. But Orton did not come alone. He brought his goatee. It's come some facial hair on Randy Orton this week. Yeah. Riddle did not ask him the cardinal rule. He stole his finisher last week without asking for permission. And he puts over the match that Riddle had with Xavier Woods. And Randy wants Riddle to be in his corner tonight so he can learn. And then has Riddle zip his mouth. And the key is thrown away. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think Riddle is, you know, does an entertaining job of being sort of like a children's entertainer. And this is like a fun little, like, kids comedy routine these two have. It works with, with Randy. I think that helps this a lot that these two play off each other so well yeah it's been the most tolerable tolerable of riddle i would say during during doing the character for an adult yes uh correct so it's xavier woods randy orton uh riddle is lip syncing randy orton's theme throughout the entrance and we get woods here blocking the rko he unloads with strikes uh, Randy hit a power bomb out of the corner, and then Woods avoids the draping DDT, goes to a Fujiwara armbar, and Randy's able to get to the rope. There's an RKO counter with a backslide by Woods, and then Orton catches Woods and hits the bro Derek in 8.58. And Jimmy Smith says, you lay down with dogs, you wake up with fleas, you nest with vipers, you get fangs. Oh, you like that one? He was uh, a eh, dude. This guy was prepared. Is that one he used in Bellator? Um, no, no, I don't think he um, ever assigned that. Um, mm. maybe, maybe he maybe he had something similar for like the Pitbull brothers. Mm, right. You know, this was. I thought this was a good little match. It was not like the type of match you uh, saw last week, of course, with Woods and Riddle. It was not really spectacular in that sense. But I thought it was a really good Randy style of match. And I think Woods over the past two weeks really has shown that he is a very capable performer. Unfortunately here, he's just there to play a supporting role, but he did a great job. And um, I definitely want to see more Woods in a singles position pushed in the future. Lashley arrives in his suite with his ladies and MVP is hanging out with them. They would, uh, their whole role tonight was to hang out in a room. Reginald meets. It it looked like a terrible party. I have to say. Well, they were okay. uh, just chilling, watching Raw at Raw. <laughs> Was this what you call chilling? Um, like they're just standing around, like you know, like shaking with their champagne. Like it looked really lame. Yeah, Bobby. Um, I kind of want to beat traffic, so I was thinking after the second hour, maybe we're gonna get going. Yeah. Why would you stay here? Why not just like. I don't go to the hotel or something. I guess they only I DVR'd the show. I'm going to watch it when I get home. Uh, so Reginald wants to keep Nia Jax in the back. He's going to be fine for his match with Reginald. And the match 
begins with Reginald doing his flips to avoid contact from Baszler, uh, but she eventually gets his arm, and Reginald scoop slams Baszler, but then apologizes for the scoop slam. She then snaps his leg and works on the ankle. He's eventually limping. There's a spinning cross body by Reginald, and then he's uh, hopping to the top on one leg. More attention to detail than many people when selling a leg. And goes for this giant moonsault, landing on his feet, messing up the ankle. And then Shayna goes for the Kirifuda clutch when the explosion from the turnbuckle goes off. And Shayna Baszler gets cradled by Reginald in 413. Reginald is victorious. Yeah, I mean, I understand the the story here, but fuck, like this was <laughs> this was Shayna Baszler losing to Reginald. I don't really care. Like Shayna Baszler losing to Reginald via firework distraction. Um, Reginald has now overcome. Like this almost blinded him two weeks ago, and then you had the the stage explosion last week. This week he was completely. I guess he's like resistant now to these large flames because it only affected one person you know what he, he's he's adaptable sure mm-hmm. i i actually like like the idea of these reggie intergender matches because i think they offer like unique ways for performers to wrestle um but i hate them when he actually wins and i can't recall him actually winning any of them especially when it's against somebody as serious as Shayna baszler so you know, I also thought Shayna's style would be like Jimmy Smith's time to shine in this match. You had a little bit of submission work, but really, um, this was not the Shayna Baszler match um, for Jimmy Smith to really sink his teeth into. I'll tell you what he did uh, show off here, and that was him flexing his pronunciation of Sumaye, Reginald. Huh, he did, yeah. Did Drop, you do get Get that L out of here. Uh, is that how you say it? Sumaye, I believe that is the the accurate description. Although Corey Graves, he's he's keeping those L's very noticeable. I'm not even gonna try. Drew McIntyre was in the back. Is everyone sitting down? Kevin Patrick had one burning question. Drew, do you think you're ready? And Drew said, "I was just like Kofi Kingston once." putting everyone's wants and needs ahead of my own. And that is why I chose (laughs) not to extend my family and have kids right now because I have to focus on the WWE Championship. And one day, I will have a child and I'm going to tell him about the Scottish fire-breathing dragon slaying the beast, Brock Lesnar, which is something Kofi Kingston did not do. And I will do anything to beat Kofi. And Kevin, to answer your question, I'm more than ready. <laughs> Drew, Drew is seriously, like, maybe the best at taking these WWE backstage story promos and at least being able to deliver them in as natural as you're going to be able to get away with in these i'm not saying they're flawless but i think drew is like seriously when you are comparing them i think drew is at the higher level of people that can pull off some of these and you did have like some like uh you had some good lines in here too like 
uh, attaching the Brock stuff, I think, was a good addition to this line. Something about the content of these promos tells me it's like, and maybe his natural delivery almost feels like it's Drew having a hand in creating them, if not coming up with them himself. I think he would have that ability. Uh, so, you know, they they do certainly sound natural, but I can say that I never really feel like they're memorable. And I rarely find them captivating, you know, and I don't know if that's just the context of the show where it just feels like, hey, we're going to go to the back where this guy is going to fill time for 30 seconds. Because that's what all these backstage seg- segments typically turn into. They rarely talk about anything actually worthwhile to listen to. And I don't know if Drew's just kind of fallen into that trap for me. He's but, putting um, off kids. Yeah, okay. It's a pretty sure. significant life choice he's making for this title. Yeah, yeah. You're right, yeah. They promoted the three-way, which they think is going to kick off the show on Tuesday. And uh, even had the announcers uh, discuss it briefly. And from that promise of Pete Dunne, Johnny Gargano, and Kyle O'Reilly, we go to an inset promo from Mace and T-Bar. Jungles are simple. Brute force is the only way to, to thrive. Bottom feeders take orders, but now we make the rules. Every lion needs a zebra. Every great white shark needs a seal. Our prey is in our sights. Lucha House Party's extinction is inevitable. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say this was like straight out of the 80s, but I don't know of any team in the 80s that would have cut a promo like this. I promise you in 1985, Hulk Hogan could have taken this and it would have sounded a lot better than this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, when you have verbiage that is this crazy, you really need the delivery to back it up. And it's really, unfortunately, not there. So I I don't I, I'm guessing they're actually trying to push this group and they they must see something in them. I mean, obviously the size, but these gimmicks are just man, they have to be tongue in cheek, don't don't you think? They're so ridiculous. Well, they're the lion and the great white shark. This is a wonderful tale. Yeah. Yeah, these these are just terrible. Everything you've talked about so far, John, on this show is pretty (laughs) awful. Like, name one good thing thus far. Uh, Up until this point. um, I guess Riddle, if you really like that. but Riddle and Orton. Yeah, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. And Jimmy, oh, yeah. Jimmy Smith was promising. Uh, Matt Riddle um, asked, getting a Spanish lesson from uh, uh, Damien Priest has been the best thing on this show. Tune in, everybody. Three hours. So um, this match was not smooth at points. Um, Grand Metalik hit this great dive off the shoulders of Dorado, but then Mason T-Bar hit the high-low, <laughs> which uh, Mace did something here, and it was just covered by... One of them saying, not a lot of finesse from T-Bar and Mace. Dorado drop kicks both from behind. I don't think he connected with one of them, but the guy still flew. Mace goes to the floor. Dorado hit a dive, but is caught and slammed to the floor. Metalik is off the top into a boot, and they hit high justice. Not the high times. This is high justice in 249. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Squash. Trying to build Mason T-Bar up for something. Something? 
Sure. I guess uh I guess they or- could do Orton Riddle. and Riddle maybe. Maybe these yeah. are going to be the two guys that have to face Orton and Riddle. Sure, could be. Alexa Bliss is with Lily. It, it would fit with the animal theme. That's right. Yes. They're coming. The whole animal kingdom is under attack by T-Bar and Mace. Uh, Lily and Alexa invite Reginald to the playground. Seamus comes out. Uh, he cannot wait to go on the road to defend the United States title. He tells Humberto Carrillo and Ricochet that they can go get participation trophies. That's the closest they'll come to any gold uh, which not even a participation trophy for Mansoor because he's no longer participating in this story. Uh, they, he recaps the attack last week by the two, calling it scum baggery, and notes that he has not defended this title since winning it at WrestleMania and is not going to face them two-on-one. So instead, we're going to get two singles matches back-to-back, starting with Ricochet. That went <laughs> a classic, folks. Ricochet was thrown into the barricade with a fallaway slam, and then Ricochet powered up and channeled Umberto Carrillo's theme song, which distracted Sheamus to allow him to get pinned. They are getting drunk off of this finish. It's got to be a record in this month of May how many times they have done this goddamn finish. And they love it as a babyface finish. <laughs> they love booking their babyfaces to win. Via All these babyfaces are cowards that win through music, trombones, running out a two-minute clock. They think it's like a way of like the the underdog outsmarting the bully. You know? Um when I feel like outsmarting a bully with a wrestling move could be just as effective. This would be like <laughs> Uh, a fighter getting poked in the eye in late in the fight in the fifth round, and the other fighter just says, "Oh, I can't continue. I can't continue. We're just gonna go to the scorecards or something," and, and just getting uh, you know, a like a cheap win. I mean, th- these on a are technicality. Just, these are illegitimate finishes. You know, these are these are ways that um villains typically squeak out a victory. It's like your shoelaces are, are, are slipped on a banana peel. That's that's all these are. So Ricochet wins in a minute 15, and then Umberto Carrillo faces Sheamus. Ricochet's out there rooting him on, and the big spot of this match is Carrillo drilling Sheamus with this hard forearm that just busted open his nose. So these two are just having a wonderful track record together. Um, the match continues. Sheamus's nose is all bloody, he clotheslines Carrillo off the rope, then drills Ricochet on the floor with a boot, and the high cross is caught by Sheamus. He drags Ricochet in. Carrillo comes off the ropes with a kick and pins Sheamus in 456. So both Ricochet and Carrillo pin the United States champion in separate matches. By cheating. Each one. Well, I mean, you can't beat this guy straight up. Yeah, of course. It's impossible to like these baby faces on this show. You know, I, anyway, it's just, it's, it's how they want to book it. These are two, two five live guys who are trying to go up against the unbeatable heavyweight in Sheamus and you can't have them win by wrestling. So they have to win by these types of bullshit means. Eva Marie video. She needed to take a break from WWE to find herself. She learned that life will knock you down. It takes courage to keep getting back up. And fight for what you want in life. So I'm back to finish what I started. I won't just be the voice 
for myself, I will be the voice for the superstars of the WWE. Still 50-50 on whether she's going to debut as a healer face. This is the big drama, yes. Lana and Naomi versus Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke with Tamina and Natalia on commentary as Byron Saxton just casually knows. Tamina, we know it took you 4,008 days to win your first title. We all know this. And Natalia said that the titles are passports to every corner of WWE. Not NXT. Um, that that would that's WWE. Well, yeah, they can't go to NXT anymore with those because they have their own tag team titles. Um, well, limited passports then. Yeah, maybe they can go and uh, be part of the crowd. They could go be on commentary. They can go check out a show. So uh, they went three forty four. Um, Naomi hit the spinning Pescado to Dana Brooke on the floor. Rose then drills Naomi with a knee strike. Lana does a roll-up for a two. Jackknife cover. Rose bridges out. Dana then hits a spinning neckbreaker to Lana off the shoulders of Mandy in 344 and then got into Tamina and Natalia's face. So it looks like it's Mandy Rose and Dana Brooks' turn to go for the titles. Seems like it, yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, just a quick little match to set up the challengers. I mean, very limited time for these four, but they did well. We saw a clip of Bad Bunny on The Shop Interrupted on HBO with LeBron James and company uh, talking about WrestleMania and called it the best moment of his life. I thought this was a good clip to just include. Like, it made WWE look like it was topical to real people. They are still living off of this Bad Bunny, like, endorsement. Months after this guy has left, and this is a great, this is a great clip for the WWE. Like he is the best thing that that's that's really ever happened to him in in, a, in quite a while. You had Jay Z and LeBron James in this room acknowledging the WWE's existence. They must have loved this. Round three of Shelton Benjamin versus Cedric Alexander that they plugged as the rubber match with bragging rights at stake. Well, bragging rights consisted of a thumb to the eye and a neuralizer where Cedric pinned him in, I kid you not, 30 seconds. It's <laughs> really hard to care about this feud. I mean, I might have cared like the first time they did it, but certainly by the... It, it's more so the fact that like they just throw these matches out there cold without any sort of like wraparound build or storyline or, or like anything to make me really think that this was going to be a final match between the two. Um, so why not just call it like a best of five or like a best of seven? You know, if you're going to, you're, you know, you're going to like fill this show with one of these every single week, but give me some sense of progression. Look at the hype. Look at the, the hysteria around tonight's game seven. You, Cedric and Shelton could have been Leafs and Habs. This was only game three though. Does this set up Cedric Alexander to get a shot at Rhea Ripley now? What? He won in 30 seconds. Mm. All right, good question. Yeah, I don't know. It's okay. It gets better. We go to Elias and Jackson Riker in the locker room. Jackson Riker is in a trance. Holy oh. shit, there's still so much show. Sorry, we're going to get going. He says that Omos is barely a human and asks Riker, have you ever been in battle before? And Jackson Riker informs him, I served in Iraq. 
Mm-hmm, yeah, so we're uh, doing our big Gunner Memorial Day veteran push. Uh, the beginning of the Gunner babyface, or sorry, Riker babyface push. Yes, yes. What a, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, Jackson Riker as a babyface. see face. how it goes. He's a good, yeah, crowd loves this guy. Beloved, yes, <laughs> Jackson Riker. Kevin Patrick conducted his 4,000th interview of the night with uh, Tommy the Green Ranger, Kofi Kingston, minus a flute. Yeah, they uh, they had their uh, Power Rangers outfits today, the New Day. Yeah. He said his family and friends are not a detriment. His success is because of them and respects Drew McIntyre, but not the cheap shot he took about slaying the beast when Kofi couldn't, stating, if we're going to go there, I beat Bobby Lashley two weeks ago, and Drew has not been able to do that in the last three months, which was a nice... Uh, time period to cover because we're ignoring last year's pay-per-view match pretty much yeah didn't exist aj styles and omos defend the tag titles against elias and jackson Riker. um i think the tag title match was better on sunday night than monday aj is beaten down for the whole match we come back from break and as jackson Riker goes to the corner elias Hops off the apron. The virtual fans are livid at Elias. Riker is left on his own for Omos. Elias abandons him. They beat on Riker, ending with the phenomenal forearm with Styles pinning Riker in 945. Um, This did wonders for the journey of so many teams towards these raw tag team championships that Elias would rather have uh, travel to all the different cities by himself rather than become a champion. Those are his priorities, which I truly can, I can understand. Alone time is a wonderful thing. Um, or he just does not like this guy, Jackson Riker. Oh, that was it. Yeah, he, he explains later that he can't imagine traveling with this guy who's, who he says is very unpredictable. And, um, yeah, I can understand it. Look what happened to his last travel partners. They're no longer in the company. So I, I, I'd understand Elias, but you know, it, it was a storytelling match. The tech titles were just completely not important here. Um, but it sets up the Elias Jackson Riker feud. We've all been <laughs> Jesus Christ. Say that again. It, it begins the Jackson Riker Elias feud. We've all been waiting for yep. with, with Jackson Riker as the baby face. Yeah, that's not a promotion. That's a warning uh, for all these towns they're about to hit. Reginald's limping in the back. Nia warns her about Alexis' playground, and he says, what could go wrong? They're going to celebrate later. Elias then explains he's dumping this guy. He's weird. Okay, he's going to travel by himself. Alexis' playground. Reginald feels fine, except for his knee. And then Lily asks a question, which thankfully we have our interpreter, Alexa, and asks Reginald about his time in Cirque du Soleil. She was a big fan. Baszler attacks Reginald, sits down on the swing, and says, Alexa says, you are not invited to come play. Lily doesn't like you. And Shayna Baszler calls Lily and Alexa a big problem. And next week, we're going to have a chat which seems to be prolonging what could have just been addressed in the present, and then looks at Lily, stares her right in the face, 
And I look forward to this uh, making its way onto every MMA news site on Tuesday. Tells Lily, you're just a stupid doll. And (laughs) I don't know about you. I loved this volume of Goosebumps, uh, this particular story. So (laughs) I'm all for the R.L. Stein produced Shayna Baszler Lily program. Is this a night of the living dummy? Do not insult Goosebumps, okay, by comparing it to this. They wish they could be R.L. Stein. Um, were you uh, were you also a Fear Street reader? Honestly, not so much. No. Oh. You know what the best one was? Was I wasn't big into Fear Street, but I got the trilogy of the origin of Fear Street, like going back mm-hmm. to like the it's like the like nineteenth century and all this witchcraft of how they developed Fear Street. Those were those were great. Oh yeah. I'm thinking of reading them next Monday at 8 o'clock. Well, tell me how that goes. The Viking Raiders were with uh, Mansoor, and they're telling... <laughs> they're, they're explaining to Mansoor what it's like to wrestle at a live event. <laughs> it's awesome, dude. You've got to be well-rested. <laughs> And well fed. <laughs> it's like, and Mansoor's like, yeah, yeah. I I once won this battle royal in Saudi Arabia, uh, but it was a figment of my imagination. And then they tell him, you need a war cry. So he yells. This was the stupidest segment of all time. Oh, these are. I just look at these as tests. You know, like sometimes, like there are guys who are you. These guys don't need tests. We need stars. We need people that are going to be big fucking deals. Why does everyone have to pass a test? And we've got to see how bad this guy can navigate this stuff. Because somehow, if he comes out of this swamp without a without a venereal disease, then and only then can we then get serious with him. After we've seen him be treated like garbage for nine months, then we'll we'll brush him off, and then there is our star. Well, I wouldn't say that these tests are intentional at all. They are just, um, I think, the product of, um, you know, somebody's uh, vision that um, doesn't Did always this work guy, out. There was no vision for Mansoor when they brought him up to Raw. None. He no. was literally in a segment with Sheamus one week, and this is our follow-up. He's hanging out with the Viking Raiders, being told what it's like to be a wrestler with fans. Sure. I mean, you have to look at this like it's, you know, like you remember, like a cartoon show. You remember that, like, the rock and wrestling cartoon show? Like, you have to just look at this as, like, almost a... It's a reset for a guy like a Mansoor. You're not supposed to have remembered that he had any sort of role in Saudi Arabia... He's just a brand new character who has never... He's a rookie who's never been on the road before. Never experienced something like this. So why is he here? Why is he here on the biggest show this company has? Well, he's been very impressive in developmental. He's been impressive in 205 Live. Now he is going to experience the big leagues for the very first time. Mansoor walks into Mustafa Ali, who warns him, They'll stab you in the back. Don't trust anyone. And he says, Why should I trust you? And Ali says, now you're getting it. Mansoor does have a very good delivery. 
Um, I will yeah. say that. Well, like when, yeah, when I said, when I was trying to say earlier, like sometimes you can tell guys are actually really talented. And I see segments like this as tests for them to see how they can deliver this material that I think, you know, would otherwise be very, you know, probably not the easiest to work with. But I mean, this was fine. He sounded good here. Like he delivered the raid thing pretty decently. And I feel like he will impress people. And I think Ali, Ali is a great partner for him to showcase his abilities both outside of the ring and in kevin patrick's is back with uh bobby lashley and mvp mvp says they have they have no preference who wins tonight mvp was moved to tears during kofi mania and he loves drew mcintyre's story it's just business they can't be ringside but neither can do anything to end bobby's reign at hell in a cell so the main event was a long match between Drew McIntyre and Kofi Kingston. They went through two commercial breaks. Um, Drew was nailing him with these big overhead suplexes. We cut to the uh, to the lounge where um, Lashley and MVP are watching the match while the women are dancing to Jimmy Smith's call of the match. Yeah, it was really strange. <laughs> like I'm telling you, this was not a great looking party. This was no a music. Pretty sad party, dude. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're going to commercial break. <laughs> like, I feel. Like, do you think these women, any of them, might have had a semblance of a good time tonight? No, they were all on their phones during the breaks. Um, <laughs> Kofi goes off the top with a trust. Like, fall. what is MVP's pitch? Hey. Ladies, I want you guys to come here. We're going to have a raw party. We're going to sit down and watch Monday Night Raw. Does that sound good to you? Is it going to be trivia? Is there going to be any games? Uh, yeah, we're we're okay. Basically, an o- o- the O'Grady's party, I think. Well, we drew way more people than this. Um, maybe maybe this one we're like, ah, we're, we're going to go to Daly's place. That's That's like a real party. Um, Kofi goes off the top of the trust fall and Drew catches him, tossing him into the timekeeper's area. After the second break, Kofi hits a sunset bomb. The SOS gets stopped. And then Drew hit this cool spinning future shock DDT, which looked really good. Kofi comes back with a super kick. Drew does the sit up spot from the tree of woe, suplexing Kingston off the buckle and sets up for the Claymore, but is hit with trouble in paradise, saves himself by grabbing the bottom rope. And then Kofi hits a double stomp to the floor, comes off the top, and is caught in midair by a Claymore. And Drew pins him in 22 minutes and 40 seconds. They shake hands after. Lashley and MVP come out. And we are going to get the singles rematch between Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre at Hell in a Cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't know if it's in a Hell in a Cell. No, we have not got any announcement of a physical Hell in a Cell match yet. But we have uh, two matches scheduled. I thought it was a really good main event on Raw. And I think the only thing worthwhile to watch on this edition of Raw um, could finish. And I was actually quite impressed with Jimmy Smith. He delivered an oh my god that I thought, you know, probably would have made Joey Styles proud. He added energy to this match and this finish. So that was probably like my biggest takeaway from the show was just kind of hearing this new commentator who I thought exceeded my expectations. But uh, a very good main event, I thought. So, good main event, good debut for Jimmy Smith, Riddle learning no, Spanish. That was 
That was not good. Like that it doesn't was tolerable. Make the cut. It was tolerable at best. Um, no, this was a terrible show. It's it's just like this show is creatively just bankrupt, dude. Um, some things are funny once in a while, but when you look at like the lack of uh, like the booking for these finishes, they're they're booking of baby faces, you know, and, and like. I don't even want to like go th- relive it. I don't even want to go through it all. But like, it's just um, it's it, it's especially coming off of like the show last night where I thought the biggest criticism was was this Anthony Agogo Cody match. I will take a three hours worth of Anthony Agogo versus Cody programs compared to some of this stuff with like Alexa and Shayna and man, um, you know what is it, Ricochet and Carrillo helping each other cheat to beat Sheamus. My biggest issue on Raw is that I don't think there is a match I'm craving to see. And it's the only show I can say that about. I can rattle off tons of matches in every other company. I can go through SmackDown and find compelling programs. I can look at NXT. On Raw, it's... Not an indictment of any of the performers, but it's like, name me a match on Raw that gets you excited. I I would have been interested in Kofi versus Bobby Lashley if there was a serious push for Kofi at a pay-per-view going for the championship. You know, that would have been fresh. It would have been an interesting story because I, unfortunately, um, Drew versus Lashley is just like, they've run it so many times. It feels like they've run it so many times by this point. And um, it just kind of kind of feels a bit stale. And I think so. kind of a bit of a waste of a of a Lashley loss. The way this turned out, where okay, mm-hmm. it was like two weeks of Drew and Kofi matches, and I mean, is Kofi any further ahead after that win? Like by next week, it's it's probably right back with Woods, isn't he? No, I don't. And I don't think that was the point. I thought the point of you know putting Kofi in this position was to fill two three weeks of TV time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I, I don't it. know if he really got a whole lot out of you know pinning Bobby Lashley. That's been very, uh, very few and far between that they have done that over the past year. So it was a weak edition of Raw tonight. Gets a 4.5 out of 10 on the forum. And let's see. <laughs> let's see what Paul from New Jersey thought. Had the opening segment of Raw. I had the opening segment of Raw on with the Maple Leafs game in the background, so needless to say, I had double the mediocrity. Glad to see the inclusion of Nikki Cross, though. Orton and Riddle is working for me, and the matches with Woods are enjoyable. I'm actually for intergender wrestling, but I absolutely hated Shayna jobbing to Reginald and the overall presentation. If only Shayna's night ended there. So happy Kofi is at least around the main event scene, as it felt like for a long time, WWE wanted you to forget that he was a world champion. Hats off to Jimmy Smith for a very nice debut. Who has worse booking? Shayna losing to the wine guy and about to be feuding with a stuffed animal or the Viking dads? Well, I would say the Viking dads don't have any story. They just, they hang out backstage. Yeah. They're just kind of caricatures of like guys who um, take themselves too seriously. They're basically what I think Mason T-Bar are going to be in a few weeks. And I, unfortunately, like, I don't even want to like, you know, turn this super serious, but like when you're in that position, you're only one step away from being expendable for these next rounds of cuts. Like once you hit comedy level where you're not, you're not even being used as a comedy guy that often on TV, 
Like you're just not important enough for them to keep around. So I, and that's concerning because those guys are so incredibly talented and should be like taken so much more seriously. Anyway, um, I'd probably rather be Shayna. We got Alex from Portland who says WWE's baffling writing was on full display tonight. Sheamus, the heel champion, looks foolish losing to two consecutive matches he wanted to have. Uh, with his busted nose and how he lost his matches, Sheamus felt more of a babyface than Ricochet and Carrillo did. In 2020, Shayna Baszler became the only person to eliminate every other competitor in an elimination chamber. Tonight, she lost, not to an actual wrestler, but to a former Cirque du Soleil acrobat. Considering she's going to potentially pair up with Alexa and that Reginald is not an actual wrestler, what was the point of giving Reggie the win? The Alexa story. Um, yeah. So she, I mean, the idea, you're supposed to feel like she lost to Alexa in the fireworks, not to Reginald. Um, this is I mean, they, they have a purpose programs. for it. You cannot like the direction, but there is a direction for Shayna. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, but it's like, shouldn't you give the attention and the strength of the win to the person that is about to have the match on the pay-per-view? And not somebody that you're never going to see again. Like it would be like you know somehow the 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 Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, being the focused act coming out of this game seven. Like they lost to the Montreal Canadiens, but uh, we're so somehow supposed to like follow the Leafs postseason as like the main draw for for the NHL coverage. Like it would it's it's that it's like that, you know. Well, maybe maybe what should have happened was the Toronto Maple Leafs should have negotiated with the Montreal Canadiens to say, I bet you guys can't score on us in two minutes. Sure. Uh, he goes on to say, Nikki Cross did not lose in two minutes to Charlotte Flair, and we're supposed to find this impressive. Cross is a former women's tag champion, and we're being made to feel like she should beat be beat in less than two minutes. Yeah. On a positive side, Kofi Kingston looked amazing. RK Bro was very entertaining, and Jimmy Smith had a very fine commentary debut. Uh, we go to Kate. It feels nice to have at least one really positive thing to say about Raw tonight. Jimmy Smith sounded great. He seems knowledgeable and knows how to sell the action as well as call it. He improves the show. And as we all know, it needs a lot of improvement. Drew and Kofi too was excellent. And I shouldn't be surprised by that. But Raw seems to screw up their booking so comprehensively that it's kind of a shock when we get a quality match with a clean ending that leaves both guys looking strong. Does it make me want to see Drew and Bobby again at Hell in a Cell? No, it does not. Nothing else on the show rose above the level of fine, I guess. And most of it was below that. Lashley's ladies continue to be my most hated thing in professional wrestling. And having Elias describe Omos as barely human was a shocking bit of scripting, uh, considering that Jackson Riker gained dubious fame for cheerleading Trump's invective against the Black Lives Matter movement. But hey, that Game 7 was something else. Mm-hmm. Well, they're certainly going to um, seemingly push Jackson Riker um, as a, you know... Iraq war veteran baby face. Um, and that might be met with success. It might be met with criticism. Um, certainly having crowds back will, you know, be a different case and we'll probably tell you a bit, bit of a clearer picture. So we await to see how that unfolds. Before we go late breaking news from Andrew Thompson on the website, uh, courtesy of new Japan pro wrestling 
As a result of the extension to the state of emergency in Tokyo, New Japan Pro Wrestling has arrived at the decision to cancel the Road to Dominion event previously scheduled for June the 4th. Um, this was going to be the one at uh, Oda Ward City Gymnasium. Uh, we deeply apologize for any disappointment and inconvenience caused. June 1st and 2nd events at Corcoran Hall will proceed as scheduled. June 6th Dominion in Osaka Joe Hall is now scheduled for Monday, June the 7th. So Dominion is still on, but the card for Friday at Oda Ward Gymnasium is off. Okay. So there you have it. All right, everybody. We're going to wrap it up. Um, you know what? It's now day one of the Toronto Maple Leafs rebuilding process. An annual event in this city. And I look forward to everybody sharing their thoughts on how the Leafs blew it on, on Tuesday. Talk radio sure. is going to be at a peak. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. You probably get as much coverage um, of this as before. So you know what? Maybe they have a point in booking uh, their baby faces on Raw. So th- um, thanks, everybody. Hope you guys join us for more of this. Um, when are we back, John? What's up next? Uh, well, we are hopefully going to have an interview over the uh, the next couple of days with uh, Brian Fogle, the director of The Dissident. Uh, so that is scheduled uh, for later on. And then you and I are not going to be back until Thursday for our Rewind Away covering Warrior. From 2011, that way is about to watch. Uh, so we will be chatting about that Thursday for Cafe members. And then Friday night, just after midnight Eastern, we'll be live at 12.15 for Rewind Dine Down. Duh. Ooh, very exciting. That's right. Cool. Awesome. And maybe even a post-news update. Somewhere. I'm sure we will do oh, a bonus uh, this week. I've liked doing those. Uh, we did several of them last week, so you can... Uh, Keep your eyes and ears out for those. Best way, subscribe at youtube.com slash postwrestling. You'll never miss a a bonus show when it drops. Uh, So that's going to wrap it up. Thank you to everybody for listening. And that is it. Good night.